What's up, folk? Welcome to the number one college football show with me, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we are going to recap week zero, such as it was. We're going to talk a little bit about some really important, I think, quality questions going into this week one that is going to be so pivotal as we have 12 weeks of regular season football over the course of 15 weeks because bye weeks and so forth so on we're also going to talk a little bit about a couple of players i think you should be on the lookout for and one team i think you should be on the lookout for but first let me address this up front two things first is i have a cold and i feel a little bit like a stock car racer asking for the daytona 500 to be shortened to 100 miles because I'm feeling just a little bit soft, but that's also just me. So bear with me as I range and or crack because that's just the way it is. Don't have COVID, don't have strep. I'm just a weakling with a summer cold. Second part of this is, as you probably have ascertained from the copy, from the way that the show got to you, we have rebranded number one college football show, but everything else is the same. Quite literally, I, I say that bad. We are changing some colors. That's it. Some colors, fonts, little bit of the name, half the name, everything's fine. You're going to get the same amount of content. Well, actually, you're going to get more content than you ever got from this show before. But I'm hosting the show. It's going to have the same cadence. We have the same folks behind the scenes helping put this product in front of you. And I assure you, it is going to be mwah, outstanding stuff. All right. Probably going to hear me say that more often than not as we go through the first three, four weeks of college football because, well, I like to be clear. And I'd like for you to understand what we're talking about. Did I mention we're going to talk about the Michigan quarterback situation? Because apparently people want me to talk about the Michigan quarterback situation. We'll get there, I promise. But first, let's talk about what happened in week zero. At the top of the agenda for me, like you, was Nebraska at Northwestern. If many of y'all that have been listening to this show for the last nine months have heard me say, I am bullish on Nebraska. Then Nebraska goes and gets beat 31-28 in Dublin, Ireland after taking a 14-0 lead in Dublin, Ireland against the Northwestern Wildcats. And I can't tell you how shocked I was to see so many people jumping off the deep end here. Look, this Nebraska offense can go. Casey Thompson went for 350 yards, uh, 55 yards passing, which is the most by any Nebraska quarterback ever in a season opener and in his first game as the starter. You also had Anthony Grant go 19 carries for like 101 yards. They can move the football. I had Mark Whipple saying with a straight face that Trey Palmer, LSU transfer, is bigger, faster, stronger than Jordan Addison was last year at Pittsburgh. And all Jordan Addison did last year at Pittsburgh was win the Bolitnikoff Award. There's lots to be excited about here, right? I think the offensive line has an opportunity to get better with Donovan Rayola really trying to turn the screws on what they can do. I think they're going to get the wide receiver play that we wanted Nebraska to have. Marcus Washington seemed like a godsend to them coming with Casey Thompson. Mickey Joseph has shown over time that he can be that guy that develops one of the best wide receiving cores in the country. And we've seen what Whipple's offense can do, give it some time, and Casey Thompson can operate. That's the good news. Bad news is defense trash. Okay, that's just, everybody saw that. 500 yards, they gave up. Rushing, they gave up 200 yards. They gave up a 300-yard passer in Ryan Helensky, who, by the way, was dealing. Like, I was not expecting to see Ryan Helensky going out there and dropping dimes, but he was absolutely doing that. Evan Hull was absolutely carving up the front seven of the Nebraska defense. Now, you also got a bunch of people that want to put Scott Frost on a hot seat. I'm just not there, right? I, I'm just not there. Look, 
doubt the stars are fire, doubt the sun doth move, doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. I love football. I think they're going to play 11 more games. I think that's all they have to do. I think Nebraska could actually shock some people here. And you're talking about a team that was three and nine last year and three and nine in close games. That's the other part about this that really is disheartening for Nebraska fans. Yes, you have lost another one score game, but there was free beer because the internet was down. By the way, American stadiums adopt this policy. That's a fantastic policy. We don't have working internet. We're going to give you free beer until we have working internet. My God, that would be amazing in this country. So we're still getting to a place where we're wanting to serve alcohol at college games like Beaver Stadium. They're going to try this out for Central Michigan. We'll see how that goes. Talk about that a little bit more. Again, I think Northwestern's off to a great start. They're 1-0. They've proven that they have an offense and a defense that can go, and they're on and on here. Like they've had on years where they end up in the Big Ten championship. They have off years where they win three games. This already looks like an on year for them because they've already reached a third of their wins from last year. Shout out to Pat Fitzgerald, who also got a win in his 200th game as the head coach at Northwestern. Excited for him to do that and his crew cut. Also, I'm excited for one of my mentors, the athletic director at Northwestern, Dr. Derek Gregg, who's also the athletic director at the University of Tulsa and meant a lot to me on my come up. Excited for him to have a football team that is undefeated in top of the Big Ten standings going into week one. All right, after that, I want to talk a little bit about another Big Ten team that is making waves without having played one down of football in 2022. That would be the University of Michigan, for which we got a statement from Jim Harbaugh that claimed to make a decision about who the starting quarterback was without actually making a decision about who the starting quarterback is. All right, so this is a long statement, but I'm going to read it all so I give Jim Harbaugh his Full quote here, and don't take anything out of context, and you understand what I mean when I come after this with what I think about this decision. Okay. We have made a decision. Both quarterbacks have played great, done everything they could have, and in every way to win the starting job. Coming out of camp, I just feel like we have two quarterbacks, Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy, that we feel very confident that we can win a championship with either of those two behind center. It's a great thing for our team, but there's only one ball and only one quarterback can be out there at a time. So we're not ready to say that the starting quarterback is, or who the starting quarterback is, but the decision that we have made is Cade McNamara will start the opener against Colorado State, and J.J. McCarthy will start the second ball game against Hawaii, and then after week two, we will make a decision going into week three on the starter, and the backup. That's Jim Harbaugh. Question is, has this worked out for teams in the past and who have tried to play two quarterbacks before? All right. I don't like this as a decision because I don't think this is a decision, but let me walk out some some possibilities here. 2014, Ohio State made this work, right? You had JT Barrett. You had Cardell Jones. They won a national championship mostly because they kept getting injured and then they had two guys that could actually play. The next year, you have two guys that are trying to fight for a job and basically Urban Meyer has to make a decision and that makes things worse for them, right? You can read about what I have more to say about this on FoxSports.com where I wrote about 1,200 words about this. Other one I think is more akin to what you have at Michigan, having in Iowa, right? Around the same time, 2014, you got C.J. Beathard and Jake Rudock. And turns out, Kirk Ferentz really liked Jake Rudock. And yet, C.J. Beathard was the more talented quarterback. That's kind of what you have at Michigan. They were barely decent 
2014, and then you get Rudock, who transfers to Michigan. You got C.J. Beathard comes in. They win 12 games because they know who the guy is, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that who that is. I also think that you are missing an opportunity to, frankly, prove the rest of us wrong. Now, it's one thing for me to leave them outside of the top 25. It's another thing entirely for the rest of the world to believe they're not going to defend the Big Ten championship. Okay. One of the reasons I think that you'd be willing within your rights to believe that is because Jim Harbaugh has not made the hard decision, I think, to start the more talented quarterback that is J.J. McCarthy. But when I gave this to a person that is close to the program in Michigan, he told me this was a win-win-win for the University of Michigan. His thinking on this was, look, you're going to have Cade McNamara have to start a game and demonstrate that he will push the ball down the field instead of being checked down Charlie, which is kind of his Achilles heel, right? He doesn't throw for a lot of yards, though he has the highest completion percentage in career history. That means you're throwing a bunch of dump passes. That means that you will just do not want to challenge people downfield, and you got to be able to stretch defenses in the Big Ten. For J.J. McCarthy, you're going to start a night game at Michigan, right? And you're going to get your first start to do that. You're going to have to prove to the offense and to Jim Harbaugh that you can hold on to the football and not make these tremendous gaffes, these tremendous blunders that lead to turning over the ball. Now, that said, J.J. McCarthy is the more talented player. He's a five-star quarterback, one of the top 25 players in the 2021 class. For perspective there, Cade McNamara is ranked 268th in the 2019 class. Difference here, Jim Harbaugh also believes that he sees a lot of Cade McNamara in himself. As a matter of fact, when I talked with Jim Harbaugh at Big Ten Media Days and I asked him about Cade McNamara, he said, look, I see a young Jimmy Harbaugh. And he giggled about that because that made him feel good. Now, he's also really adamant that he believes that Cade McNamara gives them an opportunity to win because most of the drives he led led to points being scored on the board, which is how Jim Harbaugh apparently evaluates quarterback play. But it's also an offense that does not really want to challenge people through the air as much as it wants to challenge people on the ground. They'd much rather give the ball to Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and have that offensive line do a lot of the work than ask a quarterback to go win them a football game because that's just not how Jim Harbaugh wants to do things. He wants to run a quote-unquote pro-style offense that's basically one back to the 1990s where we come out in single back, seven on the line of scrimmage, or we come out in an eye formation, we pound the rock, right? Something they were able to do against Ohio State last year that led to them getting to the Big Ten Championship and then beating Iowa and getting their first berth to the college football playoff ever. I'll be interested to see how this works out, but the data that I have been able to find is that two quarterback systems do not work. Some of it is just, hey, switching out guys every series or switching out guys every two weeks or every week doesn't give the team an opportunity to rally around one guy at the most important and singular position in sports. It absolutely matters. It's like, I, I, I could give you lots of reasons, this is white, but if you know who the guy is, you know how to adapt to that guy. And you know what that guy's going to want. And you know how that guy's going to react to whatever the situation is because you've got reps in with him. You've got reps in with understanding his psyche, where he wants to go. And if he turns it up a notch, everybody else turns it up a notch. If he's down, everybody else finds a way to pick him back up. I think for Michigan, the best case scenario is that Jim Harbaugh looks around kind of like Dabo Sweeney did in 2018. He says, Kelly Bryant's good enough to get us to the playoff. He's not good enough to win us the national championship. That's what Cade McNamara is, a guy that's good enough to get you into the playoff. He's not a guy that's good enough to win you a national championship. Otherwise, 
perhaps you would have done that against Georgia. And I think if you give J.J. McCarthy an opportunity to go win the job in camp like you did, and then you come out and you still say, I don't know, what's he going to feel? Now, also underneath all of this is, hey, RJ, one of these guys is a senior and one of these guys could go into the portal. Yes, I know. And I would be remiss if I didn't point that out to you. And I'm sure that that's not the thing that is driving Jim Harbaugh's thought process here, but it is the thing that fans are worried about. You don't want to lose J.J. McCarthy because you wanted to play Cade McNamara. You would like to see J.J. McCarthy lose the job himself, and then everybody feels better about that, right? Because it's like, okay, cool. He just wasn't the guy to do it at the big house. But I don't think that's the case. I think if you give J.J. McCarthy the keys, everything is going to be all right, all right? Those are my thoughts. I believe that Michigan's can still be good. As I said earlier, I think they're going to work their way into my top 25 because that's just how these things go. But Monique voice. I would like to see it. All right. So let's move from that to what I think is a fascinating question that was asked by my editors at Fox Sports, and we've included here. Which coach needs a win most in week one? And I picked Penn State, James Franklin. The Nittany Lions haven't won a game since gunking Rutgers 28-0 on November 20th, right? So we're, we're getting there. We're getting a little further away from having won. You're also talking about a man who signed a 10-year, $70 million extension to stay at Penn State at a time when everybody seemed to be getting paid. Mel Tucker got paid. Lincoln Riley later got paid. James Franklin got paid. We're still seeing guys getting paid. I mean, Nick Saban is making $10.9 dollars to coach until he is 78, 79 years old. Kirby Smart's going to make a bajillion dollars, right? Two of the highest paid employees at public universities are football coaches in the Southeast in case anybody wants to care or doesn't. Now, I also think that it's a big deal for Penn State in that you need to go beat Purdue on the road. Now, James Franklin and his athletic director have been making, hey, about 12 out of the last 13 years, we have opened Big Ten season on the road, and we're Penn State. Now, I find this fascinating because when I tried to nail James Franklin down about who his rival is in the Big Ten last year, he wanted to act like he was brand new. He told me, hey, we've only been in the Big Ten since like 1990, so we don't really have a rival, but we do play for the land-grant title against Michigan State. And I'm going, uh-huh, and now you're wanting people to treat you like a dyed-in-the-wool Big Ten program, a la Michigan-Ohio State, who've been a part of the Big Ten Conference since the 19th century and ain't going that way. You're going to open on the road in West Lafayette against a Purdue team that I think is dangerous, Right, The Big Ten West is fascinating to me, if for no other reason than Northwest has already shown, hey, we have an offense that can go with our defense. I think we've seen Illinois show that they got an offense that can go with their defense. Who's going to be the bad team, if you will, in the Big Ten West? Because I think they're all pretty stout and right there close together. I mean, I basically picked Minnesota, which we'll talk about a little bit here, but you could see Wisconsin, you could see Purdue, you could see not Nebraska, Northwestern, but I'm still bullish on Nebraska. We'll stay away from that. I think James Franklin could do with a win. I think you could do with a 100-yard rusher as well because they haven't had a 100-yard rusher in over a season now, even as they've had pretty decent tailbacks. But you got to go back to Saquon Barkley for the last time you could think of a great Penn State tailback, which is a place that just to use to produce great tailbacks, great linebackers. That's what Penn State does. Which leads me to the next question I think is most fascinating about this week one. Which freshmen are you, me, most excited to watch. And I picked Nick Singleton, right? He's one of the guys that I'm very excited to see play football this year 
as a true freshman. And the way that I was excited to see Travion Henderson play last year, I'm as bullish on Nick Singleton as I was on Trey Henderson then. The reason is Singleton is a homegrown tailback who's as strong as Saquon Barkley was walking in the door and also the reigning National Gatorade Player of the Year. He rushed for over 2,000 yards with 44 touchdowns as a prep senior. And he has the capacity, I think, to be a dynamo in the Big Ten. And who couldn't do with an outstanding bell cow back like Penn State, especially with Sean Clifford going into what I think is a proven year for him, year two with Mike Yersich. We now know that Drew Alar is going to be his backup, but we also know that Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington are going to be catching passes from him. If you can get that offense up and going against what I think is going to be a pretty stout Purdue team, at least offensively, we'll see about defensively, then we can speak well about Penn State in the Big Ten East, which is not going to be easy. From Ohio State to Michigan to Michigan State to Penn State, you've got teams in there that absolutely are going to be hunting for the championship by December. All right. From that, I want to go to this. Which transfer are you most excited to watch? Now, I think the easy answer here is Caleb Williams at USC because, one, I'm an Oklahoma fan, and, two, it's Lincoln Riley at USC. I don't know about you, but I've been inundated with stories about Lincoln Riley and USC going into week one as they play. Let me check my notes. Rice. What? <laughs> okay, fine. I'll watch that. I'll watch it all because that's what I do. I watch all of the college football. I watch Florida State beat the hell out of Duquesne, okay? I'm that guy. I'm a degenerate. But I'm more excited to see Quinn Ewers of Texas. I just am. Like, I want to see what this dude is made of. Now, let me refresh you about who Quinn Ewers is and why I'm excited to see him. He's one of just six players to earn a 1.000 rating from the 247 Sports Composite. means you are the cream of the crop in recruiting. Other guys that have earned that sort of a moniker, Jadavion Clowney and Vince Young. That is the company for which he is keeping. He also reclassified to get to Ohio State early. The reason he reclassified is because he had a name, image, and likeness deal on the table that could change his life. And the state of Texas made a law that said he couldn't accept that deal as a high school senior. So he said, bump it. I'll just go to Ohio State a year early, which is such a flex. And such a power move. C.J. Stroud wins that job. Passes for 4,400 yards, 44 TDs against six INTs and is a Heisman finalist. You're not going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. Transfers to Texas, where many of us thought he should have been all along. Coming out of South Lake Carroll, where the mascot is the Dragons. Not the house of, but another Dragon show that I really enjoy watching. Now at Texas, he's joined by a Heisman contender in Bijan Robinson, right? Tailback, seven and a half yards deep. Probably could rush for 1,800 yards if he had the ball 300 times. You also have Xavier Worthy on the outside. You have Jaleel Billingsley at tight end. Mostly this is about can the defense keep a lid on if Texas is going to be good. But if Quinn Ewers goes out and, say, puts up 400 on Alabama with four TDs, maybe a pick here or there, throws the ball maybe 40 times, we're going to be talking about Quinn Ewers the way I'm talking about him. But if he doesn't, we're going to be talking about him totally differently. Now, there's also a dude that looks central casting for Friday Night Lights, the TV show, with, with the, the grungy mullet and, 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 and the cutoff jean jacket. Like, he just oozes Friday Nights in Texas, okay? I think that's going to play well on the 40 Acres. Excited to see what that looks like for the Longhorns and, quite frankly, Quinn Ewers. Okay, last question that I have going into this week one about the season as a whole, which team is going to surprise us? I pick Minnesota. I'm still very bullish on the Minnesota Gophers. Gophers dodge both Ohio State and Michigan during the regular season, which is 
not not nothing, right? They also are facing just one preseason top 25 team outside of their division, and that's number 15 Michigan State. I think they can make a game of that and then go win it. They return not just their starting quarterback at Tanner Morgan, who feels like he's been around since 2005, but the best tailback in the country nobody is talking about or forgotten about. That's Muhammad Ibrahim, right? Muhammad Ibrahim went for 163 yards on 30 carries before going down with a season-ending injury against Ohio State in a game that they were probably going to win if he's healthy enough to finish that game. That's how good he is and how good that offensive line was with that unique zone that they run off of him. They also are returning Kurt Soraka, who the last time you had Kurt Soraka, P.J. Fleck, Tanner Morgan, Muhammad Ibrahim on the same team, they won 11 games in 2019, had one of the best seasons they've had in the last 50 years, and they finished number 10 in the country with a win over number 12 Auburn in the Outback Bowl. I think that the Minnesota Gophers are poised to have one hell of a season. They were 9-4 and four last year <laughs> at a time when I didn't think that we were going to have much of anything to say at all nights about Minnesota. They've got a backbone. They've got a good defense. I think if Chris Autumn Bell and Dylan Wright step up and Tanner Morgan throws for 3,500 yards, you're going to be talking about Minnesota the way that I'm talking about Minnesota come December. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, our coordinating producer, senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn, and I'm the host, RJ Young. We will see y'all on Wednesday. Deuces. <laughs>